usually happens here is I don't very rarely talk about, let's say, quote-unquote, the goal. Yeah? I talk more about what we're not. And the reason why, I don't know what the reason why is, but this is, I'm going to tell you a little story about the reason why. And that is because when I would hear to describe, you know, someone pointing at or indicating the indescribable, the all-perfect oneness, the blah-da-da, blah-da-di, blah-da-da, and maybe they would say, you are that. What was hearing it was the dilemma, yeah? So, so you can get a nice, very beautiful description or a pointer at what is so, but that pointer can actually be a way of being blind because of the, the pseudo-subject that hears it. Yeah. So instead, we try to go to that. So what you're not. Because if you recognize what you're not, at that moment you are what you are, unencumbered by the illusion of what you're not. There's nothing you need to do from the point of recognition of what you're not to get into something. Yeah. It's the recognition of what you're not is it. As soon as there's a holding or a recognition of what you're not, as being what you're not, at that moment, you're traveling incredibly light, let's say. There's no you traveling light, but there's a lightness involved. It's not like sort of, okay, I'm going to tell the truth about what I'm not, and now I'm going to tell the truth about what I am. You don't have to tell the truth about what you am. The truth about what you am is I'm not that. You can't quantify what you are. You can't capture it. There can't be any qualities really given to it. It's something prior to all of that. So, for me, it's more than enough to recognize what I'm not. And that recognition that I'm not that, that's the activation of what I am. That's its movement. Yeah? It's, what I am's movement is unencumbered by what I'm not. Yeah? So, I, there's no need to do anything else. But I noticed before when I was studying this stuff, and I hear about it, I was trying to entertain it as what I'm not. You know? I was trying, so when someone had described what is, what was trying to get it was what wasn't. <laughs> you know, what isn't. And there was a big dilemma there. Because I thought I was going to get what I'm not. Yeah? But by going this way, by describing what you're not, yeah, and, and putting in this little like invitation, you may not be that, that's it. That's what happens. In other words, at that point, there's nothing more that's needed to be done. It's just a recognition that I'm not what I thought I was. And at that very second, what I am is unencumbered by that illusion of being something I'm not. That's the whole message, in a way. So in a way, the message is giving, is passing on the nothingness of the truth, in a way. Because obviously, if you want to know the truth, you have to see it. It's simple. If you want to know the truth, then there's, this is being assumed to be the subject, and the truth is cast as an object to you. Yeah. I'm going to know the truth, like I'm going to know that car. I'm going to know this chair. Yeah. I'm going to know the truth just like I expect to know an object. I'm going to be the subject that experiences that object. Yeah. So I'm going, to, I'm going to go on that ride, that roller coaster ride, and I'm going to experience that ride. But that cannot possibly apply to truth, because this, the little trick is you are that. You are that truth. So the sense of being a subject, 
the scene here, if you like, or the, the sense of being the subject is what's seen through. And as soon as this, the pseudo-subject is seen through, the tendency to make the truth an object for you to know, or peace uh, an object to get, or love an object to achieve, yes? You now see it totally differently. Yeah? Because now you're seeing from the truth, from the peace, from the love, and immediately any kind of seeking is seen as ridiculous. Because obviously, if the truth is seeing what's going on, why would I have to seek it? You don't have to study how to not how to be a non-seeker. That's just another form of seeking. It's just a recognition. The mind gets gets stopped in its tracks in the selfing, and something dawns on it that was going unnoticed by the habit of just being identified as this action figure. And that thing dawns on you. Maybe you'll get a free sample for a second or a minute or five minutes. But that, like one master used to say, at that point your head is in the tiger's mouth. It's a done deal. Because the mind now knows. It's recognized something. There's been a recognition, and that's all that was needed, was a, just a recognition yeah, of what you're not, as being what? You're not. Yeah. A recognition of what you're not as being what you're not. That is it. In that recognition, there's the livingness of the awakening. Now what happens? Who knows? But it has nothing to do with you. Yeah? In a sense, you're irrelevant, but in the most lovely way. You know how I remember when I would be involved with a woman a long, long time ago. You know, <laughs> I'd be involved with a woman, and when she was done with me, let's say, you know, when I had crossed the line, and she had made women have an incredible. When they cross the line, there's usually no going back. Right? <laughs> Men aren't like that, but when a women have had enough, they've had enough. It's like bye bye, that's it, close thing. <laughs> and when I had reached that point and crossed that line, what used to drive me crazy was the irrelevance I had in her life. Yeah. Before, I could drive her crazy because I was somewhat important, yes? But now that I had no importance, I had lost the ability to drive her crazy. I was irrelevant. Yes? It used to drive me crazy. That irrelevance, in this case, is freedom. What you are giving so much meaning to has no meaning, in a sense. It only has the meaning that your head has been busy, busily giving it to, yeah? Giving it to. And the reason why it's giving it so much meaning is that's how the head makes it appear to be real and important and solid because it means a whole lot when I get disappointed. It means a whole lot when I don't get what I want. If you don't get what you want, I could care less. But if I don't get what I want, it means a fucking whole lot. So the relevance is the sense of being a self. The irrelevance of that is freedom. Now, not to self. To self, it's seen as death. To have a meaningless life or a purposeless life to self is death. But then some of the great teachers in the past said, you have to die to the self to be reborn. You have to sort of, it's in self-forgetting that you are awake. It's in all these things they would say. But I feel they're all implying that, where there's that moment that the mind is totally skirting every second of every day, that its making is totally irrelevant, that there is not a long-lasting independent <coughs> entity, and it will do anything to avoid that. 
So it will make the most insane, inane, stupid little thing super important, hasn't it? I mean, people harp on and, and dwell on the newspaper boy missed my porch last week. Like, how fucking dare you? And then count all the times he's missed the porch and how many times he hits the neighbor's porch and on, so on and so forth. It will drench something with so much meaning. Why? Because it gets a reflection from that. That if it's so meaningful, then what's having it must be really meaningful. Yeah? So the whole point of being special or wanting to be right all those times is just wanting to be relevant. Yeah? But relevant in a special right way because in a, in a fact, you're all the relevance there is. But I notice the head in its playing God tries to duplicate what you already are, but in a very weird, distorted way. So it wants to be special and unique and it thinks that's what makes it unbelievable, when actually it's in the ordinariness of everything, and in seeing it, it's, in other words, the mind thinks God would be number one. Yeah? But true, true, the truth of life is that God is the number zero. Yeah? It seems like it's nothing, but everything arises out of that. To the head, it says, fuck that. God is number one. I'm number one. I'm special. And in my rightness, I know I'm special. And in me making you wrong, I'm really special. And that drive to be special is the mind playing God. Yeah? And so therefore, same thing. It doesn't want to accept universal love, so it tries to have a special love with another person. Yeah? Excluding everyone else out of it. But, oh, I have it now. Me and her. It's like union, wholeness, but everyone else is separate. <laughs> but it's like wholeness, just me and her. But it's, a, it's like a neurotic or a distorted interpretation of the fact of wholeness. Yeah? And it seems that the more meaning it dwells in, the more relevant it is. But it's in the meaninglessness is the peace. Yeah? Meaninglessness isn't what this mind thinks is meaningless. Meaningless is scary to the head, the self-centered you know, self head. But meaninglessness is freedom. Like in the Tao, they would say, the wood that's gnarly and ugliness and that is incredible because it can't be used. Yeah? <laughs> They're not going to use it for furniture. They're not going to make anything out of it. So it's in the humbleness of life, the ordinariness of life, which is the real space. But the head will never entertain that unless it can be noticed for being ordinary. Yeah? Unless it can get some sense of being special by being ordinary. So the head, the whole contraction of self-centeredness is such a small little box of interpretation and meaning. Yeah? And its, its sky is so limited, there's only a few possibilities that every one of us has gone over many times already. I mean, most of us haven't had just one fairy princess. We've had seven, maybe. There has been... You know, shining knights on, you know, in armor on the white horse coming into your life how many times? Eight or nine times, yes? The next job is going to do it. The next vacation is going to do it. The next board is going to do it. The next this is going to do it. The next that is going to do it. We're always giving so much meaning into arriving, yeah? With the hopes that we're going to be saved, in a sense. But it never seems to work, does it? All you do is get in this loop of constantly putting off your own juice and own power to be saved by some other power, only to turn against it. Yeah? 
So when you make a master, you have to, you crucify him. That's what they used to, there was a great, there was a psychiatrist that wrote about Christ, and he said, oh, when Jesus showed up, everyone was happy as hell. They were like, fucking, this is unbelievable. Yeah, hallelujah, Jesus. And then after three years around them, they wanted to kill him, because he was a fucking bad reminder of what they really were. See, they wanted to want to be free, but they did not want to be free. And there he's walking around being free, and that was unbearable to their heads. Yeah? So he's got to go. We've got to get rid of him as quickly as possible. That's why most people serve dead masters. Are you ever going to get an argument with the master you have in your head? <laughs> Who's dead? <laughs> you can make Robin Maharshi anything you want. He died in 1950. You can make whatever, Jesus, anything you want. You can make Buddha anything, this and that. It's easy. But someone who's alive, in a way, it's much more, it's much more interesting. Because there's a sense of confrontation, in a way, some friction. Yes? It's not all lovely and rainbows. There's like a friction. Yeah? This guy's irritating the fuck out of me. He's <laughs> irritating the fuck out of me. Because that's the purpose, that friction. You've got that bubble of comfortable numbness, yeah? So when you're with someone who's alive, then you have tons of opinion about them. All the opinions you have about a dead master are beautiful, but you weren't there when you didn't go into the bathroom after he came out of it. It stunk. You're like crazy. You don't see it. Yeah. It's all made into a myth. Just like in recovery, what happened with the co-founders. People have ideas about the co-founders of recovery, and they're totally, if you met any people that were back then, they have totally different opinions of those two jamokes. Yeah? So things, you know, I'm not saying anything good in there, but, you know, the mind will... The mind, to avoid the truth, will make it a myth. So this is so, it's not even confronting because it's prior to anything. That's the trip about it. You realize that this whole thing is made up. Because if it tries to turn around, it has to do it in space and time. You've missed it. This is not of space and time. Yeah? If I sat here and said, okay, let's everyone take a minute to get ready for the talk, we've blown it. We should all leave. Because <laughs> the talk was already going on, sitting there, yeah? But as soon as... Right, let, me, let me open up. Right. nothing to do with you, literally. If you've exiled yourself into a limbo because you did something heinous today, you're playing, the mind's playing God. Yeah? If you're the one who's playing the trumpets at the gate of heaven because you did something good, your mind's playing God. Seriously. You have absolutely no relevance whatsoever to the truth. It's just an optionless state. It's choicelessness. Now, your head can give up its little habit of selfing all day and attending to it and being interested in it, and then recognize when it looks into that stillness and it doesn't see anything in the reflection. There is nothing here. Yeah? And then it can get really busy when it's, that happens because it really wants to avoid that, or you will just surrender, or like in that Star Trek, you will stop, you know, resistance is futile. You just give it up. You just give it up. And you just go along with the agenda. Which I have no idea what it is. But you're, you're on a need-to-know basis. And you don't need to know. Because the way you would know it, would miss it. 
you would miss what it, the dance is setting up. Yeah? Because you think of only from the memory, from the past. So you'll, you'll judge the next movement on the dance floor based on a past movement. And that new, that's a new movement. Every moment is an invitation. Every moment is like pristinely beautiful. Not beautiful in the sense of ugliness and beauty, but let's just say pristine and empty. So if, if there's any time being spent trying to convince this to go along with the plan, it's totally unnecessary. This thing can be bitching and yelping and saying, I'm not getting this and this and that. It doesn't change the fact one iota. And the same thing. If, oh, I've been coming to see this guy for months and I'm religiously following his invitation, whatever, my interpretation of it. And blah, blah, blah. No, that has nothing to do with it either. This is just a recognition of choicelessness. There's no choice in this matter. You are that. (laughs) You know, maybe in time we can act as if we're not for a certain length of time, maybe 80 years, 90 years, but it doesn't, it's like not even a drop in a huge bucket. It doesn't mean nothing. It's just the mind, like in, a, in its own little hiccup. Yeah? Thinking the hiccup is the world and all the silence around it is empty and nothing. It's really true. This, the presence is your absence. That's all it is. When, this, when the belief that you're relevant and you're an individual and you're this separate entity... When that belief is absent, you sense the presence. When the sense of the presence, when this absence arises again in thought and goes, oh, I just sense the presence, that's the absence. When it gets, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't get this, and it drops down, there's the presence again. But does it mean the presence goes and comes? No. It's just recognized and then not recognized. Recognized and not recognized. Recognized and not recognized. The recognition doesn't make it so. It's so. But the recognition will, will translate as this, as this action figure, into traveling right for sure. Because truly, the true bondage in this place is bondage to self. It is truly the bondage to self, is the root of the dilemma here, if you want to call it a dilemma. Yeah. It truly is, because the self doesn't see itself as imaginary. Yes? So every problem it entertains seems real to it. And if you try to work on one of these things as if it's real, and what's having the problem is imaginary, it's just going to be getting more problems. The whole solution to me was recognizing the problem is an imaginary problem. And the solution is just that. If you recognize a problem is an imaginary problem, you immediately stop trying to put a solution to it. That's what happens. It's an immediate wisdom. You're just like, oh, you you entertain, hey, this isn't really so. And so your reaction, which is based on thinking it's so, which would be a solution, stops, and then you see it as what it is. It isn't. And then it loses its hold on you. But as soon as you keep trying to apply a solution to it, that gives the problem a reality to you. That's what happens, because you and I are giving everything the meaning it has. So you can give an imaginary problem the meaning it's real, and then you're going to be in the business of seeking for solutions to it. 
and why solutions don't seem to last long, and they don't seem to actually conquer the problem, and you don't have a radical, long-lasting shift, is primarily one and only one reason. It's imaginary. So the, applying a solution to it is what's resuscitating that imaginary problem into seeming as if it's real. So to me, that was the solution. When I stopped looking at it as this, as real, yes? When I saw that, then the need to get a solution for all of its problems seemed to be very unimportant. Then the problems seemed to weed themselves out. But if you're in, if you take something to be real, and then you put an imaginary, you get a real solution to it, and you apply this, it creates a movement, yeah? Which is problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. And in, sen in fact, the real dilemma here is that, not that you have a problem and you haven't found a solution to it, it's the need of a problem and a solution. The real freedom is from that. Not finding a great solution to all your problems, but realizing that there is no problem shuts this whole little slinky going down the stairs of life. Yeah? It stops going. Because you cut it off. Yeah. Does it? it doesn't have another... Yeah? It doesn't have that anymore. And then you're going down into what you would call a bottom, right? But this is... It gets neutered right away. It gets cut off right away because you entertain there is no problem. Fucking far out. What are you going to do now? Who knows? <laughs> That's the fun of it. You have no freaking idea. You're unshackled by the burden of being the babysitter and the caretaker and the, uh, the nurse and everything for this thing called selfing. Not a thing, but the, the verb of selfing demands so much attention and you get so little return from it. All your attention and interest is captured to sort of babysit this freaking tantrum-ridden motherfucker up there. And then what does it do? It lets you go enjoy a barbecue for a day once. Maybe finish college. It's great. But, I mean, come on. You know, I remember when I was out there when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I started drinking at 13. By 16, my idea of success was not to be arrested. <laughs> what the fuck happened? I had all this potential and it was like that, done. If you fit yourself around self, you're going to be really small. If you fit yourself around other than self, you'll be huge. You have the potential in here to be both, yeah? So, like it says in AA, instead of trying to fit yourself around, instead of trying to fit circumstances around you, you fit yourself around circumstances. So instead of trying to fit the world around you, which makes the, your world very, very small, you fit the you around the world, and then the you breaks its bondage because the world is huge. Yes, this place is huge. And you grow into your true size. Yeah. So what we want to do is, I don't, I never go to usually say, oh, the all pristine, all absolute oneness because what would be hearing that is the problem. So I want to go to what you're not. That's masquerading as what you are. If you see through that, you don't need 
you don't have to have a concept of that. You'll be living it. You'll get free samples of that. Yeah, they'll come right through. So all it is is that simple recognition of what you're not. And we gave you a starter course here, and there's other people that are doing it. AA brought us, or recovery brought us to the obsession with self was the root of the problem. We're just taking it one step back, Father. I don't believe it's obsession with self. You can have your own opinion. This is My opinion is not obsession with self. It's not the problem. It's the identification as self. And therefore, if self is, is not true, then that problem is imaginary. How can you be identified with which does not exist? Yeah? That's the fucking solution. So instead of going and taking self as real because of all the reflections of its problems and meaning it given things and concerns and seeing everything as solid and real and all the perceptions are of verifying its belief that this is a separate individual world and things are running into each other. Instead of going into all that, just go back. Like in Taoism it says, turn the light upon itself. It doesn't mean upon this. This isn't a, turn the light upon its self, the light self, which is what we are. Yeah. That's the solution. And then here, as a body, you take care of it. Just like if someone had diabetes and they were entertaining non-duality, they'd still be taking their diabetic medicine, I hope. Yes? Because this has this is has its own little laws and rules here, the appearance of a body. Yeah. And to mistake this message as the panacea for all the physical ills that may arise is a mistake. Yeah. Some of the greatest teachers died of cancer. And they died a horrible way, you know, physically. So to mistake this as the panacea to all this is not so. This is just the truth. And if the truth is the truth, as some master says, it has the potential to set you free. Free from what? The bondage of self. Yeah. So, in other words, if alcoholism, which is a disease, is affecting your life, and it's making, the, it's making it seem like there's a lot of fires in your life, then you learn where the water is, Get some good freaking pails, yeah. You go, you find a well-worn path to those water source, and then you get a good way of how to carry those pails so you can put out the fires. There is no problem with that. Yeah? But to mistake, like in the Course of Miracles, they used to talk about levels and levels of confusion. So if you mistake, if you're believing your house is on fire, you better get some water, yeah, because someone who's isn't believing their house is on fire, can entertain that. But if you believe your house is on fire, find some freaking water. Do not throw a philosophical non-duality book on it, because it's just going to inflame it. It's not going to put the fire out. Get, bring, don't bring all your CDs and your intensives and throw them on there. They're just going to be you know, gas for the flames. Just put out the fire. Yeah. If you're in recovery, recoveries of the 12 steps of AA are beautiful ways of putting out fires. To the point where you'll get some time and space where it's fireless and you can entertain the fireless state. Yeah. So if someone has some of the stuff that's built into this apparatus and into the conditioning, some of that has to burn down to the nub. It's a strong, like in you know, India, they call them samsaras or deep mental grooves that condition and define the body-mind apparatus here. Yeah? 
And some of them are deeper than others. Alcoholism, to me, is a samsara. It's a deep mental groove that affects the apparatus here day in and day out when it's untreated. I mean, unbelievably, a dominant mental groove, alcoholism. Some people think anger is bad, but alcoholism covers the bases unbelievably. You've got self-pity, you've got tons of stuff that are just flame on, you know? So it's a deep, deep mental groove. Here, if you're drawn to it, do something about it. Are you the doer of it? No. And yet, do something about it. If you, do you have free will? Who knows? But if you believe you do, exert it. Take care of yourself. Take care of your business. Like you know, I used to, when I first started entertaining this idea, it was a great uh, excuse to, like my girlfriend would say, Hey, Paul, you fucking left the oven on. I said, There is no Paul. <laughs> I'm not the doer, so obviously I don't know who left the oven on. It could not possibly been me to say there's no Paul. And she'd say, shut the fuck up. You know? It had no weight, yes? The mind, the egoic mind, the selfing was using it for its own advantage. Be careful with that. If there is no self, that means there is no self. So there is no self that's now doing something, yes? In other words, I'm, I've been in non-doing for a while and I must have lost it because now I think I'm doing it. There was no self ever to be doing anything. So why would there ever be a self to do it now or not do it? Yeah? So if this apparatus, like I, t- I, t- I use this example a lot. When I was out there running around in the spiritual seeking, one of my great adventures took me to Mount Shasta and they were having this giant sweat, you know, the... Native American Indian. They had the big, I mean, they had people from all around the country with flowing long hair on Harleys driving up, and there's all these super special characters. <laughs> they had a Native American Indian, and they built this giant tent, uh, whatever, you know, the way they do it, and they, they had these sweats in there. And I had never been in a sweat, and I didn't know. I should, it would have been nice to know some things that I didn't know, which is like, it's stupid to stand up in them because the heat rises. And yet there were so many people in this sweat, when I tried to sit down, I pissed them off, so I stood up the whole time, and I burnt my underarms, my no- inside my nose and my ears, and I couldn't wait to get out of that freaking tent to jump into the street. Yeah? But I, I went back, and I went back for the weekend because I, had to, I was a seeker. Incredible. I wasn't. There was seeking going on full steam. Then, after a few years of whatever, something dawned on me, and my, one of my friends was participating in another sweat down in, up in Novato. There was, no, there was an Indian. They brought an Indian from Oklahoma, but they were all like <laughs> suburban white guys. Yeah? The families, SUVs, you know, Range Rovers. Uh, so, and they had this food, and they had soda and everything outside, and I had, I had no desire to do a sweat or not. But I went, I went there for them. And so they set it up and we went in. So we're all sitting in the sweat and the guy's there with the hot rocks and the herbs and putting the water on it. And as soon as I realized it was hot, I got up and left. <laughs> I said, Jesus, this is hot. And I just, got, I just left and left. And I went outside and all those poor characters, I was eating all the food outside. Beautiful sunlit, you know, moonlit night. drinking in there. But I had absolutely no, it was so quick. There was a recognition, boom. Bye-bye. That was that. That's how life starts getting. There's no yapping, I should have or shouldn't have, went, none of that. It all gets like pared down. 
You just get streamlined, yeah? So an event happens and it happens. And if it happens, that's it. There's no argument with it, yeah? So if I say, well, what do you think should have happened? I say, well, what did happen? Well, this happened. Well, that's what should have happened. It's a simple law. How can you go around it? So, you know what I mean? You get pared down. You walk in a room and you walk in the room. Your attention and interest isn't up the self's ass about, did anyone see me walk in the room? How am I looking? Are these pants all right? Uh, my hair? None of that's going on. And if it is going on, it's way in the background because you recognize it's not about you, so there's a great benign disinterest in it. And what happens when your interest is not in that, it's in something else. Maybe what's happening, yeah? And when you're interested and attentive to what's happening, that's what it's called to be living, really. Because you can't really call living being preoccupied with what's not happening. I would call that an interpretation. And there'll be something lacking in that interpretation. You being the star probably won't be lacking. You will be the star in every interpretation. But the feeling of joy or peace or like fluidity will be missing. Yeah? Because that is only attained in the verbness of life, which is now. That is not a verb. That is a made-up, dead thing, talked as if it's a verb. What happened and what will happen. But it's not happening. So, to me, this idea of getting it, bringing it back to the real root of the problem has been my salvation, if I ever needed to be saved. Because that was the salvation I don't need to be saved. I, don't, I have no need to be liberated, nothing. That was my salvation. So I, am, I have a certainty around it because of what it has delivered through this apparatus. Yeah. I mean, how can you tell a tree here but by its roots? So, if you find a solution that causes the problem not to exist for you anymore, that's a pretty damn good solution. And, if the pro- and see, the problem cannot exist for you unless you are identified as it. Yeah? The problem cannot exist for you if you're not identified as it. The problem will exist for you, masquerading as a solution at times, but it will still inherently be a problem. You know? The problem will continue to exist for you if you are that problem. If you're identified as the problem, the problem and its solutions have to exist for you. When you're identified as the solution, the problem does not exist for you. And the solution is, it's an imaginary problem. Yeah? I haven't seen you in a while. Is it a year?
figure, Paul. How do you know, like, if your shopping is not driven by uh, wants of the self, how do you know what you want, you know? Besides things like food and, you know, shelter, all that. But, you know, like, what, what are the real wants of the action figure, Paul or Andre, you know, or anybody else, once they're not, once they're not identified with the self? You'll find out. There's no, like, rote situation. You know what I mean? There's no program. It's not carved. To me, maybe someone else will say something different. But to me, there's no carving in any stone. It's very, very fluid. So, I don't know if there's anyone who has a real want, in a sense. But this will have a lot of wants and preferences. Yeah? But the, uh, the extreme urge or need to have them met will be dismissed. So, in other words, it's sort of like wearing your dreams loosely, they used to call it. Yeah? Or instead of needing something or wanting it, you'd prefer it to go that way. But if it doesn't go that way, it's totally fine. You know what I mean? In other words, your, your head almost, your directional head is like an owl. It can go around. It doesn't have a place where it gets rigid. Whatever, right? Yeah, I really want to do this, and like tonight. And then she says, "Well, something's going to someone else." Okay, well, we'll do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can stop like on, the, on in your tracks and turn and go without a, missing a beat. Yeah, because there's no rock solid. It's got to be this way. You've recognized it doesn't have to be anyway. <laughs> it's like a it's like an improvisational dance. You're being led. Yeah. Something leads you, and, and it keeps you on your toes. You have to be alert, because you may get into an idea. You know, it seems very nonchalant to have a preference, and then it will throw a curve. Oh, okay, you get off that. And you just go the way it goes. Or you don't, and it doesn't matter either way. It really doesn't matter. So if I go, if I do this or I do that, it really, in a, in a deep sense, has nothing, it doesn't matter because when all said and done, it's the real sense here is that nothing ever really happened. That's the trick about it. If you look at yesterday, does it really have a sense of reality to you? I mean, it just it turns into mist and just goes off, and, and you have to think to retrieve something out of it. You have to use your arm and hand like thought and go into that mist of memory and pull it back into so that you can attend to it and get interested in it. That's selfing. Yeah? But the day, doesn't it feel like a day just goes when it's gone? I mean, I did some things this, in, this morning with a couple people in this room. I don't want to say what I did. But uh, <laughs> they're just gone. Bye-bye. And why would, you know, isn't, don't you get the sense of things as being so ethereal? You're on to it. That's actually the case. You're not, like, tripping out. Actually, your gut sense of this place as being unreal is obviously true. It is unreal. Yeah? I mean, these are, these are just... We had the most natural reactions to situations. We've come to question them all the time. When you can feel something, this ain't right, and then your mind will... But, but just after a while, you just start following your gut more, or you don't. doesn't matter. I'm just sharing what happens to me. I just follow my gut more. I, my gut tells me something, and I go for it. And if I... If, if this thing goes, goes against it, there's going to be shit to pay. And if I'm willing to be accountable, take the shit. 
but they will be shit to pay. You can't argue with reality. You don't win. It's impossible. You want to say, but I want you to stop doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it just keeps doing whatever it's doing until it stops. That's irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. That's the freedom. Yeah. I want to be special. I want to be, I believe I'm the one that kept me from knowing the truth. All right, you want to be that big of a God that you can keep yourself from knowing what you are? But try it on. How does it fit? Don't you see? Big book, if you, if the big book in recovery, the how and why of it, he says, quit playing God. How many people are talking about that? The how and why of the whole thing is quit playing God. I don't hear any freaking people talking about it. This is the how and why of it. I think that's all encompassing. How and why? The how and why of something is a pretty big deal. It says quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. Well, how are you going to know what doesn't work if you don't recognize what playing God is? To me, it's clear as day. Selfing is playing God. The mental process is playing God. It's trying to tell you how you were, how you're going to be, how you will be, how they were, how they're going to be, how they are, how the world is, how it's going to be, how da-da-da. It's playing God. It's like projectile vomiting playing God all day. You wake up in the morning, it tells you how the day's going to be. You haven't even gotten up. And it constantly tells you how you're going to be and how you are. Every time you look at yourself, you not... Every time there's the looking in the mirror, it's like you're getting tattooed again with the story of Paul. Quit playing God isn't just like it didn't happen up in Yosemite, 1998, on a day with the wind blowing through my long locks at that time. It's a moment-to-moment recognition. You see the playing God, and in the seeing playing God, that's not playing God. Yes? In the seeing of the head playing God, that's not playing God. That's being God. When there's the seeing of the head playing God, that's being God. It's only God that will recognize something playing God. Self will not recognize the playing God, because that's what it is. It's it's a lessest God playing God. It's called self. When you see that playing God, at that moment, you're being God. That's it. Your head may come up and say, I thought it would be much bigger than this. Well, that's... Being God can be can play very small. There's no, there's no parameters on being God. I didn't think God being God would be so ordinary. To who? To this thing that wants to be special. I don't want to be God to that. That's bondage to self. That's why it says in the book, you know, the third step, I don't want a God of my own understanding. That's the last thing I want. In the beginning it was important, but now at this stage, it is the worst thing I could possibly ever imagine, having a God of my own understanding. Because if I do, that God is going to be smaller than self. Because what's having the understanding of God is self. And it's always going to make whatever it understands lesser than it. How is that God going to serve me? Is that God going to bring me any bring about a freedom from self if it's a product of self? I want a God of its own understanding. I want a God of its own understanding. I want a God of God's understanding, 
not of my understanding. I don't like the word God, but you know what I'm implying, yeah? I want an understanding not defined by my prior understanding of self-centeredness. I want an understanding that passes everything else, a peace that passes all understanding. I want a peace, a new attitude, a new outlook, a new happiness, a new joy that isn't coming from self-centeredness. Because that's the same old, same old. And that joy will bind you just as a sadness will. But peace does not bind you. It's not the peace of self-centeredness which binds you to the chaos. Yes? Because they're two sides of the same coin. This peace doesn't have a second. This joy doesn't have a second. This bliss doesn't have a second. Yeah? It doesn't have an opposite. It's a whole other ball game. It's not defined by duality. It's defined by oneness. Or actually, I think nothingness without a first. Not first without a second, but nothingness without a first. It doesn't play the game we're so used to taking to be real. It doesn't have either or in it. And there's no self in it. It's a system that is not centered on self. So guess what? A system that's not centered on self is going to have a lot of possibilities that a self-centered system doesn't have. A system that's not centered on self will have a whole nother way of living. Yes? When it downloads into this expression or experience of living, it will download a whole new set of programs than self-centeredness will. But to try to squeeze this into self-centeredness only neuters the message of the other realm. Yeah? Instead of in trying to fit the fourth dimension or the spiritual realm into the third dimension, neuters the fourth dimension. Yeah? You only do that if you identify the self. You're trying to understand that what's not understandable from self-centeredness. And so you're, what you do is you adapt the truth to fit it. You adapt the truth to fit it. You make certain someones that were the harbingers of truth, but not everyone is. No way. There's all special masters, but you're not. All of this happens. It, it bastardizes or something. Yeah? Why? Because this system doesn't fit into self-centeredness. What it does is rec it shows the recognition there is no self-centeredness. It doesn't integrate into self-centeredness. There's a recognition there is no self-centeredness. That's how it integrates it. <laughs> it says, this problem does not exist. Hallelujah. What else, is, what, else but the, what else could be the solution but that? What else could be the solution but the problem does not exist? Any solution that verifies the existence of the problem is a problem. Yeah? The real solution is that the problem does not exist. Of course you seek solutions for your body condition. That's the conditioning of the body for survival. Yes? But the spirit isn't cast into the same mold. You don't seek solutions for the spirit. You recognize there's nothing ever possibly wrong in it. That's, there's a recognition that no matter what I did here or didn't do here, it did not affect my nature. It cannot possibly touch my nature. It can't leave a scar on it. It can't tattoo it. Nothing. So therefore, I am irrelevant. And it's, I am only relevant in what Jesus says, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Yes? The inness is irrelevant in the ofness. The ofness is incredibly relevant in the irrelevant. Yeah? The ofness has a huge effect in in. 
Yeah? But the in has no effect on the of. That's all we're doing. They, it's like oil and water. They do not mix. Do not seek a solution in the problem. But recognize there is no problem. That's the solution. And if you can't recognize it, ask who is it that can't recognize it. And if you realize that you isn't you, there's no need to recognize it. You are it. You, recognition is one step too many. You don't even need to recognize it. You are it. If, if the obsession with the selfing is, if there's loss of interest in that, you'll recognize the verb of living, of being, of I amness. You'll recognize it. You'll sense it. You won't recognize it as a subject to it as an object. You'll sense it. That's the that that erases. That's more powerful than eight thousand pages of scripture. Just that. Just that recognition. It's not a recognition. Just that. Whatever. A sense. An intimation of something. Of nothing. Really. We're at that. So I love the idea of choicelessness. That's why I think AA, in a sense, mirrors it with abstinence. Yeah, when you have abstinence, you're not thinking about drinking or not drinking. Yeah. Like my friend was coming to me, and he said he had been sober for a long time, and then he started drinking again. And he came. He took me to lunch to tell me that because I had been his sponsor at one time. And he says, you know, I haven't. Enough, I, I've been doing it pretty successfully. I haven't gotten arrested, no car accidents. I said, I said, yeah, but how much time did you spend thinking about this conversation? With you? <laughs> how do you, how, how, what's your mind like when you go to dinner now? Should I, shouldn't I have wine? <laughs> you call that successful? Your mind is now preoccupied with the, with the possibility of should I drink or not? Yeah. You call that peace? You call that being successful? Now you're off, you're totally preoccupied. Will I drink or won't I drink? That's not fucking freedom. You're paying, you're paying the piper out the wazoo. <laughs> Choicelessness brings peace because there's no option. Yeah? There's no option. That's true peace. Because if it was an option to you, you'd make it a little bit of peace, a little of this, a little of that. Why? Because it spices it up and it makes you seem important. To have peace and then have the ability to say no to it makes you grandly important, doesn't it? To know the truth and say no to the truth, that makes you more powerful than the truth. That's why we do this. We say, oh, I have a choice to know God or not. Which is the, which is the bigger God? The God that you're choosing to know or not know, or you, the chooser of it? I would say the you is the bigger God player there. You made God something that you can say yes or no to. <laughs> Your nature, how can, is there an impossibility of saying yes or no to it? It's a fact, like it or not. I found when I succumb to that optionlessness, it's freedom. Freedom from choice. Freedom from options. Freedom from yes and no. Freedom from close and far. Freedom from love and hate. Freedom from doing and not doing. It's a freedom from all of it. The whole enchilada, you become free from the system of self-centeredness. Jeez.
see guilt and shame as a way of being relevant? You'd have to be something to be so guilty. You must have been something, you should have been something so much better than you are. Guilt and shame is selfing up the wazoo. Fucking bullshit. Don't you see it? It's like relevance. The mind is trying to get relevance. Constantly. If you could have, if you, something your whole life would have been different if you wouldn't have done something, you're fucking pretty powerful. If your whole life depended on that one choice you made when you were 15 years old, and any, it would have been totally different in your life if you would have made the different choice. Yeah? Wow! You're fucking relevant, man. I have to admit it. That you have that much power, one choice that you feel you should have done and didn't do, changed the whole ballgame. I gotta hand it to you. That's some, uh, some cojones. Some power. Don't you see it then? A little bit? It's a drive to be relevant. Every bit of guilt and shame, you're entertaining how bad you are for what you did when you're out there, and yet we're going against the whole program of recovery, because in the first step says you were powerless over alcohol and drugs, let's say, and your life became unmanageable. Powerless means you didn't have a choice, yeah? Where's all the guilt and shame then? If you had no choice about what you did, then where did the guilt and shame get harvested? If you really entertain the first step, there's a huge amount of freedom then, because you'd be free from guilt and shame if you got that you were truly powerless. But most people still don't. They still believe they had something to do with it. They still believe, no, I really wasn't taken over by alcoholism. I really wanted to do something. It's all a story of relevance the mind's projecting. But when I notice, guilt and shame only has one branch it can rest on, which is personal doership. The first step is negating that right away from the first few words of the first step. We admitted that we were powerless over what? So if you're powerless, let's just like I'm dancing with a gorilla, and I'm powerless over that gorilla, right? I'm not going to stop until it wants to stop, right? It's like 800 pounds. I may be going, I don't want to dance. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stop when the gorilla wants to stop. So powerlessness sort of implies that to me. So if you really, if you're a real big practitioner recovering, why not practice what it says? Which is getting the sense of powerlessness, it should sort of erode the foundation of all your guilt and shame. So that little well-worn path that you go into that little harvest, you know, the little field of harvesting, your little super buds of guilt and shame, it would be like, it would grow over by the spontaneity of living and you wouldn't, your machete would be dull enough, you wouldn't be able to cut yourself back into there again. And you'd be in the jungle free, in a sense. But no, no, I did something bad, I have to pay for it the rest of my days. Isn't that being very relevant? Isn't that playing God? Recognize it. Recognize what playing God seems and make it like tactile, tangible. And so then you can sincerely ask, tell the truth about it, Jesus, guys. And in the telling the truth about it, there can be freedom from it. But feel into it. Feel into how important it is for you to be relevant as a person to yourself and to others. And see how what, what a driving that force that is is in, in your head. And to see how much, what it's producing, and is it, is it bringing about what you really want? Does special really translate into you being happy, joyous, and free? 
and see and get a feeling, all right, all right, I don't want to keep buying. You know, it's like those huge apples now. You ever see those at some in the supermarkets? They're like giant apples and giant fruit. They're making these things that are insane, and they pump it up with perfume, and they polish it, but if you ever bite it, it has, it's a bland taste. You know, it looks like about the size of a, like a volleyball or something. <laughs> but it doesn't taste like a good, small, tiny apple. It doesn't have a real flavor, but it looks really, you know, wow, super fruit, super veggie, but there's no nutrition in it. That's like the mind wanting to be special all the time. <laughs> I think my next vacation is going to be in an asylum for a few days. <laughs> I've got to take a break. I do. So I'm really Oh, uh, you haven't? Oh, I, we were at the. Where were we? I think we were at Walmart in Mexico. Kmart or something. They had those monstrous apples. You need a whole cart just to carry one of them out. They're like freaking like a watermelon almost. And they look perfect, but you know, they have a mealy taste. Of them. You ever have them? You ever seen some of those big fruit? Oh, I guess I'm the only one. That's Must been tripping. Huh? Yeah, they, they shoot them up with perfume and they polish them and they look like, wow, they almost fit your concept of the perfect apple. It's like all food is becoming for mine. You know what I mean? Oh, this plate looks so nutritious. It's nothing in it, but it looks nutritious to you. So, what's this? We're oblivious to it. So, any questions? Any other questions? It's not your fear, honey. Yeah, yeah, it's just fear. Anxiety, really. It's not fear. Yeah. Well, you know, in a sense here, in, in like uh, mass manipulation 101, the first thing is to inject anxiety and fear into the populace because then they're more easily led. If you can promise them security from a false threat, then they'll do almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. I should pass my hat, but I don't have a hat. Oh, I do have a hat.